0: All right, Salt Company, you guys can take a seat. All right. Hey, who's excited to be here at Salt Company tonight? Come on. What a joy. Wow. The AC is working. Does that not feel great? Aren't you like, praise Jesus for the cold. Fantastic. Well, hey, guys, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Tony. I'm on staff with this college ministry. I'm so grateful to be here. I have to open with a public repentance moment. Kitty cats, you know. I'm so sorry. Go say Kate's. Roll cats, baby. This is what happens when you forget it. you got to go and buy merch, Okay, Very important, part of our culture. Good to be here with you guys. Hey, if you are new here to Salt Company, we are so thankful you're here. We know that this room can feel like an intimidating environment, guys. We're going to need a new venue next fall. Why do we keep doing this? We shouldn't. (laughs) Just kidding. It's great. It's good to be here with you guys. Tonight we're going to be in John chapter 19. So if you've got a Bible with you, we'd love for you to open up to John chapter 19. If you don't have one, we'd love to give you one in the lobby right after this service. It's about 80% of the way through your Bible. We are in the second installment of a three-week series called The Lamb, where we're going to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And tonight we're going to be looking at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And my hope for you tonight is that the word of God would speak loudly into your soul. We just believe here at Salt Company, the reason why we teach the Bible verse by verse, passage by passage, is we believe that there's nothing out of my mouth that can have any value for your life unless it is the word of God expounded. So our hope is tonight, you leave here with a transcendent understanding of the risen king who died on a cross for your sins. Let me pray that that be true for all of us. Father, I'm so thankful. I'm thankful for what you're doing in this place. But Lord, far more than I'm thankful for what you're doing here at Salt Company, I'm thankful that 2,000 years ago, you came and took on flesh and blood, you died on a cross and you resurrected so that my sins wouldn't nail me onto a cross, but I could live. I'm thankful that you saved me, that the man on the middle cross said I could come. Father, more than anything else, we pray that your name would be lifted high tonight, that as we sing all hail King Jesus after this sermon, that we would mean it, that we would believe it, but that ultimately that single sentence would be the organizing principle of everything that we do and everything we become. Father, may tonight not be about Salt Company, may not be about anyone on the stage, may it be about King Jesus. Father, would your spirit be heavy in this room tonight. It's your name that we pray, amen. Amen. Okay, guys. I love finding out embarrassing things about people. Oh, it's good, you know, because you feel like you can really get to know someone when they tell you about their embarrassing facts. I've got a couple for you. Okay. First embarrassing thing about me is my pant size. Yeah. You're like, how is that embarrassing? Because I'm a 31, 28. Think about that. I'm wider than I am long. How is that even possible? So awkward, I can never get pants because they're like, what size are? You? I'm like, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> I'm gonna write it down. Okay. Second embarrassing thing. Have you guys heard of the board game Catan? Some of you guys know. It's a board game that 80-year-olds play, okay? I play online Catan five to seven days a week, I'll say it. I know it's embarrassing. It's like on a good week, it's seven days a week. It's fantastic. Third embarrassing fact about me is that I am shockingly unathletic. <laughs> very underwhelming. Uh, We had a staffer last year. Her name was Rachel. She's not with us anymore. She's in Colorado, not with Jesus, but like she's Denver. You know, it's a good spot. And she's great. She's like 23. Okay, move on. And uh, last year she threw something at me. It hit my hand and bounced off. And verbatim she said, oh, I forgot how unathletic you are. And I was like, (laughs) I'm not sleeping for three days after that. (laughs) Like I was like, no way you just said that to me. Embarrassing things. Now we know each other. Okay. But that's embarrassment, right? It's things that we're not very good at, our shortcomings, that reveal our b minusness. That's embarrassment. But there's actually an incredibly big difference between embarrassment and humiliation. Humiliation is another person aiming to strip you of your dignity and your humanity by using their power against you. It's power abused to take away from someone the very essence of who they are. There's many forms of humiliation in the world around us. Some of you guys have been humiliated based on the color of your skin. You've experienced racism, which is taking from someone their identity and their dignity through humiliation. Some of you guys have experienced some type of sexual objectification where your body was more valued than your soul. Some of you have experienced a belittling of your mind where someone would look at you and say, you're just not good enough. There was an incident this week actually at St. Kate's, where a woman was humiliated completely. And I won't spare you the details. If you want to look it up, you can. But I just want to say a couple things to the kitty cats who are in the room and anyone else who may be affected. The first one is, we are for you. We care about you so much. And our staff, after the service and kind of throughout the next couple weeks, would love to sit down with you. And hear what you're processing the second thing is you might be asking a lot of questions right now this incident was so brutal so full of suffering so full of evil that you might be asking yourself where is god in all of this my hope tonight is that this sermon helps you understand and not that you would have all your questions answered but that you would intimately meet jesus face to face and he would show you that he too has been humiliated on the cross the last thing i want to say is it's moments like this, with deep suffering, anguish, and evil, that it's moments like this we see the depravity of man and the need of a savior. We see the sin that can terrorize a life, completely humiliate someone, and we see the need for a king who rises above that. So tonight, the conversation we're going to be having in John chapter 19 is about how God himself would choose to be humiliated And my hope for you tonight is that you would see a couple different things, that in light of his humiliation, you would see his humility. You would see the character of Jesus hanging on the cross for you, and that you would respond by pursuing humility and picking up your cross. The theme of tonight's message is the shocking humility of God. Two parts tonight, humiliated by his own creation and humiliated by the cross. Look with me to verse 1 of John chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know I find no guilt in him. But Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. I want to pause here. Last week we talked about how Jesus was the lamb to behold unblemished, unholy, here for our sins. In this scene, Jesus is being presented to thousands of people as the man, completely destroyed and utter- utterly humiliated. Verse 6 says this. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate said to him, take him yourselves according to- and crucify him. That's wrong. Verse 7. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to the law, he ought to die because he made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Listen to this. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Okay. I just want to give you a heads up. This is not what we would call a feel-good message, okay? It's not. This is not some cultural Christianity that I'm going to dish out at you and hope you like it. In the next couple moments, I'm going to walk verse by verse through the abuse of Jesus Christ. And what I hope it does in you is what I think it's doing to this room right now. I hope it actually begins to unsettle your soul. And here's my hope for you tonight. That as we gaze upon Jesus, that the trivialities of this world would fade away and you would see the beauty of Christ. So here's what verse 1 says. It says that he was flogged. Okay, what does that mean? It means that Jesus would actually have his arms wrapped around a wooden pole and his back exposed. And what would happen to Jesus in the consuming moments would be there would be a guard. Who would take a whip, but not like any other whip, but a whip with nine tails. And at the end of each tail would be shards of metal, glass, and bone. And so as Jesus is wrapping his arms around a wooden pole, this guard would whip the back of Jesus. And instead of bouncing off his back, it would dig into his flesh. And when he took out the whip, every single time, 39 times in a row, bits and pieces of Jesus' back would come out with it. This flogging was reserved for the worst of criminals, rapists, murderers, insurrectioners, and therein lies the innocent son of God with his back exposed. Listen, here's what it would have been felt like to get flogged. It would have felt like someone doused your back with gasoline and lit it on fire. And the only thing you could do to get out of the pain was to die. Verse 2 says he was crowned with a crown of thorns now this was meant to be cruel and ironic they would say hail king of king jesus you're the king right well let me give you a thorn let me give you a crown to wear not just a crown of metal not just a crown of gold but a crown of thorns that would go so deep into the skull of jesus that the blood rushing from his forehead would make him unable to see he would go blind because of the blood would be rushing down his face so fast and they would mock him saying jesus you're the king Save yourself. You're you're God. Move. Do something with your life. Don't just sit there while we punish you. Verse 3 says, they mocked him and they beat him. Guards would get around Jesus. At this point, his back is completely exposed. You see nerve endings. You see vertebrae. You see the back of his ribcage. He has a thorn, crown of thorns on his head. He cannot see. Other gospel translations would say in this moment, they would punch him and say, hey, Jesus, you're God. Who punched you? and they beat him, and they beat him, and they beat him to the point that he would just have been a rubble on the ground. I want you to understand that this wasn't just punishment. This was humiliation. This was above and beyond the custom for even rapists and murderers. This is the punishment of Jesus. Okay, here's the crazy thing about this text. I know that this is an incredibly dark start It gets darker. Sorry. Here's the crazy thing about this text. What is so humble about Jesus, what is so shockingly humble about Christ in this moment, is that he had the power to stop it but chose not to. Think about that. You're in this moment. Your back is being ripped apart by these guards. They place a crown of thorns on your head. If you were not, wouldn't you say no? Wouldn't you stop it? Verse 10 even says this, that every, all the power Pilate had, who, by the way, was the one who ordered the guards to flog him, who was the one who had power over the guards, all the power that Pilate had had come from the above. Here's what that means for Jesus. He had complete control over the moment, and yet he chose not to retaliate, but chose to take the suffering. So therein lies the radical humility of Jesus, that he chose to lower himself down. He chose to subject himself to his creation. He chose to love the ones who hated him. And he chose to be humiliated by the ones he came to save. Okay. So here's the beauty of this text. This text both comforts and confronts us. Okay. So here's the comfort. This is like real comfort stuff. The comfort of this text is that Jesus knows He knows everything you've ever been through. He knows every moment of humiliation and suffering in your life. He knows. I want you to think about this. Every other God, every other false God, every other king, every other religious leader, you know what they did? They used their power to escape suffering. They would transcend suffering through their power. What did Jesus Christ do? He chose his power to embody suffering. Listen, I... Throughout this year, I'm kind of a nerd. I really I like things that are thought provoking. Throughout this year, I will consistently compare and contrast Christianity with other worldviews. And I do that because Jesus is the singular, most fascinating being to ever live. He is the singular center point of our universe. Do you know that BC stands for before Christ? <laughs> Everyone here did, but I know, but it's cool though. You think about that, like This carpenter, he marks the center point of history. Like we are still talking about him 2,000 years later. There are hundreds of college students in the room on a Thursday night. Instead of doing whatever you, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to do. You know, there's options. You're here. You're wanting to know more about him. Why? Because he's the answer to every question of the universe and every question of your soul. That's who he is. So we're going to compare and contrast how Jesus thinks about things with how the world thinks about things. Case in point, suffering. Let's talk about it. No one wants to talk about it, but it's what we all go through. Here's how Buddhism talks to you about suffering. The goal of Buddhism is escapism. It's just to forget. I know you're suffering right now, but here's the answer. Just seek nirvana, zen, zen and nirvana, those two things. That's Buddhism. Hinduism says this. The reason why you're suffering right now is because you sinned in a previous life. I've, I've told this story before, but one of my good friends, her name's Amber, she like lives on a miters- motorcycle, so cool. And uh, she's a missionary in the red light district of Thailand. And one of the challenges for her as a missionary is she has to look women in the eyes who are stuck in the sex trade who have been told all their lives that because of their Hinduistic beliefs that the reason why they're a sex prostitute is because they sinned in a previous life. And she has to tell them that there's a God of the universe who wants to know them. And the reason why they're here is not because they sinned in some previous life. Listen, Hinduism promises false hope with suffering. It says you are suffering now because you sinned in the past, and that if you just sit in your suffering now, you'll live a less suffering life in the future, but reincarnation is a lie. Islam says suffer so that you're saved. The more you suffer in this life, the higher percentage of being saved by Allah goes. Atheism says suffering is but pure chance. It's naturalistic Darwinism. There's no point to any of your suffering, and the best you can give someone is everything happens for a reason. Let me show you why all those views are bankrupt. You would, in no right mind, regardless of religious belief, say any of those things to the girl at St. Kate's. You would never look at her and say, hey, I know three days were hard, but just forget about it. Just get some zen in your life. You'd never look at her and say, "Uh, the reason why this happened to you, by the way, is because you sinned in a previous life. You would never look at her and say, oh, the reason why you're suffering is because there's a God out there. The more you suffer, the higher likely chance you go to heaven. The reason why you're suffering is because there's meaninglessness and there's nothing in your suffering that matters. You would never say that to that woman. So here's the invitation that Jesus has for you. The reason in your suffering, here's what he says, I am with you in your suffering. I understand. Keller has a quote that I thought was helpful. I'm going to quote Tim Keller like 74 times this year. He's goaded. Okay. Only the true God can go with you through that furnace and out the other side. The other gods will abandon you in the furnace. I know that was like, man, that's good. (laughs) I was like, that's fantastic. Here's what will happen to you in the furnace of suffering in your life. All other false gods will abandon you. Listen, when you hit that patch of suffering that feels like your life is about to end, stoicism won't come out with you on the other side. Your self-help routine will not come out with you on the other side. Your accolades and your achievements that girl on the weekend, none of those things will make it. The only thing that will make it out to the other side is Jesus Christ crucified. That's it. He is the only true God who can go with you through the furnace and to the other side. Okay, so many of you guys don't know this part of my story because you're new, which is great. Glad you're here. For the first two years of leading this ministry, God was doing incredible things. Who here remembers the basement? Small crew. That's right. It was sketchy as heck. Okay, pretty illegal, I'll be honest. All right. Fire code was like 30. (laughs) Tough times. For the last two years, God has been doing an incredible work in this ministry. He has been saving people, transforming people, making people to look more like him. And that entire time, I was utterly and completely depressed. I was waking up every day, and I had nowhere to go in my mind. And I felt like a walking contradiction. Like, guys, I was like preaching about hope, but I felt like I had none. How awkward is that? Like, is that even legal? I don't know. Like, what? Why would you do that? I was talking to people about how Jesus was enough, but I wasn't believing it. What was true is I spent two years trying to find any other thing that would sustain me through my depression. You know what happened to me? Jesus happened to me. I'd been saved. I'd met Christ But in the most intimate moments of my life, when I got to the end of myself, Jesus was there. He was the only thing that lasted through that furnace. Trust me, two years is a super long time. All that other stuff will fade away. It is only Jesus and always only Jesus that will stay with you. Listen, you will spend the rest of your life trying to find a bunch of false, pithy gods to put your faith into. And then you will hit that furnace and you will realize how dumb that was. Because none of those things can hold the weight of the suffering of this life. Only Jesus can because he knows. Okay, so that's the comfort. That Jesus knows your suffering. He's with you in the furnace and he's the only thing that's going to get you out of it. The second thing about this text is that it confronts you. Okay, here's something I'm going to say often this year, okay. <laughs> this is annoying, but it's, it's good. Uh, here's what I'm going to say often this year. the Bible? You read the Bible? and then the bible reads you you're like oh why would you do that to me like it's like you read it and you're like oh my gosh is he speaking to me yes he is it's conviction okay here's what's true this text confronts us because the depths of his humility exposes the depths of our pride listen this is going to be kind of an awkward part of the sermon but i think you'll like it you guys want to know what the most convicting thing is ever okay so conviction Christians always talk about that word conviction. It means that the spirit of God is stirring something in you to change. Okay, it makes you want to change. So what's the most convicting thing ever? It is not, by the way, religion. Religion is a decent motivator, not that great. It's not even fear of hell. It's not authority. The most convicting thing in this entire universe is the unbelievable grace of God. It's when you get to the feet of Jesus and you realize that this man has been beaten by his own creation. He has been whipped and beaten and put a crown of thorns on his head. And you know what he says? He doesn't say, zip, evaporate, although he should. Here's what he says. He says, Father, forgive them for they they don't know what they're doing. Think about that. You want to be convicted? You want to have your life changed? You want to look different? Sit at the feet of that Jesus. And here's what you find at the foot of the cross. There is no room for pride. So here's the definition of humility I have for you. Humility is that your life is not about you and it's not yours. So here's what culture says. Own your life. And Jesus says, give up your life. See, culture says what you feel is true. What Jesus says is what he says is true. Listen, humility is realizing that your life is not about you. It is not thinking of yourself as less. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay, I I don't know if you guys feel this way, but (laughs) I'm the most prideful person I know. I, I don't know if you feel that way, but it's like, oh my gosh, when I wake up in the morning, you know what I'm thinking about myself? How much sleep did I get last night? Where should I go to get my $7 latte? That's like literally my second thought. I think that. What should I do with my day? How do I feel? What's most important to me right now the second I wake up? I am full of pride. Why do we need to go to the feet of Jesus every morning? Whether or not you've been following Jesus for two minutes or two months or two years, because you are waking up as a prideful person. You are thinking only of yourself. And you need to sit at the feet of the cross. Okay. Here's my question for you. What if this year, your goal was not to get a bit more jacked, okay? Okay. Like half this room is like, that's my goal. It's It's all I want, five pounds, whatever. God will do it. Okay, he won't. He might, but it, whatever. It's not important. What if your goal wasn't to get slightly better at school, to increase your body count a couple people? What if your goal this year was to become so enamored with Christ that the humility of God would make you humble? Listen, let me tell you this. The number one evidence of grace in your life is not if you come to Salt Company every Thursday. It's not if you say a bunch of Christian things. It's whether or not humility has taken a hold of your heart. You want to follow Jesus, be humble. Okay, the second part of the sermon is to be humiliated by the cross. We're going to fly a little bit here. Verse 16 says, so he delivered over to them to be crucified, so they took Jesus, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the school, which is in Aramaic it's called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with two others, one on each side, Jesus between them. Okay, so here's what's happening in this moment. Jesus is asked to bear his own cross up the hill. It is digging into the back of his body. He takes his cross up on a hill. And with two other crosses, they would strip Jesus down. Listen, I have seen plenty of paintings of Jesus on the cross, and there's always a garment covering his genitals. Listen, I want you to understand this. The son of God, the literal reincarnate king of the universe, was hanging on that cross completely naked for everyone to see him. And it is on that cross that nails would be driven through his hands. Nails would be driven through his feet. And the only way he could breathe was to dig his torn up back into the cross, to lift up his chest, to take one single breath, and to fall back down again because his body was so broken. Listen, the crucifixion is not some necklace you wear or some earrings you wear because you like this symbol. The crucifixion of Christ is the most humiliating event in human history. And God chose that for himself. Now, I wanna level with you, that is terrifying. None of us would want that life for ourselves. And yet, I need you to get this. That is the primary metaphor by which Jesus compares following him to. Right now in America, Christianity is like seen as a bunch of different things. It's seen as an ideological framework, It's seen as a political party. It's seen as young, hip kids doing the thing. Boo. It's seen as, like, you become Christian and then you wear fancier clothes. I don't know how that happened, but it. you know what I'm saying? Christianity has lost its mark. Here's what being a Christian is. It's going to the cross. It is quite possibly the least popular message you will ever hear but it is the only one who can change your life. So here's what Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You wanna follow Jesus this year? You're gonna have to die. So here's evidence two of grace in your life is picking up your cross, okay. Here's what Jesus gave up on the cross. Three things. I want you to write this down if you're a note taker. He gave away his plans. He gave away his preferences. And he gave away his privilege. Think about what happened on the cross for Jesus. Not my will, but your will be done. Listen, I want you to get this. If you want to follow Jesus this year, here's what you're going to have to do. You are going to have to hold tightly onto Jesus and loosely to your plans. He will shipwreck your life. Like, I, I honestly don't even know what I'm doing right now. Like, he... I had such different plans for my life when I was a freshman in college. I wanted way different things. I basically wanted to be a millionaire, be married to, like, a really hot person, and do whatever I want. Like, that's what I wanted. And Jesus Christ has shipwrecked my life. I mean, in a good way, I like like my life now. But, you know, it's still shipwrecked. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to hold on to him tightly, your plans loosely. Second thing, your preferences. Think about the way Jesus died. Do you think that's the way he wanted to die? Like, guys, you ever think about this? This is a fun thought experiment. Jesus could have fulfilled a lot of the Old Testament prophecies by dying on a hill battling Caesar. You know what I mean? Like, boom, boom, boom. Oh, oh my gosh. Everyone's like, wow, amazing. You went toe-to-toe with the great, right? The goat. Yet he died in the most humiliating way possible. He put aside his preferences of even the way he died to die for you. Listen, this is, this is going to feel pretty sharp to some of you in this room, so just be ready for it. Some of you in this room have let your preferences get away in the purpose God has for your life. In your relationships, listen, some of you guys are like, God, Jesus, I would serve you, but, like, I just like hanging out with people I like hanging out with. Like, the least of these you talk about in the Bible, that's not my preference, man. In the church, listen, some of you guys... You guys go to like 40 different ministries. It's kind of awkward. I don't really get it. And and the reason why you do that is because you're like a church connoisseur. You like piece together the exact type of ministry you want. Like I like this person thing, but uh, your preferences are getting away of actually doing just faithful kingdom building. Listen, for some of you in this room, the call of picking up your cross this year is being like, you know what's way more important, like significantly more important than my preferences the purpose God has for me, which is to glorify him in heaven. So I'm gonna actually do this thing with my preferences. I'm just gonna go just kick it off to the side. Because I don't need it. The last thing is his privileges. Listen, Jesus went from heaven to earth to hell. He he like skipped, like that's a hurdle. Like he went so far down. He gave up the riches in heaven so that he could become a poor carpenter who would get beaten by his own creation for you. Here's what that means. That every gift God has given you is not something to serve yourself, but it's a steward for the kingdom of God. Okay, if you want to follow Jesus this year, here's what you're going to need to know you are going to need to hold on to Him tightly and hold on to your plans, your preferences, and your privileges very loosely because He will shipwreck your life in the best way possible. Okay, as I call the worship end back up, we're going to finish out our time together. Also, I know this was a really intense sermon. But it was fun. I mean, I I think we enjoyed it. Okay. There's this moment in verses 17 and 18 where it says that others were on the cross. So here's kind of the vision that's happening. Jesus is in the middle. He's on the cross. And on the right and on the left are two different thieves. Now, they probably just weren't thieves. They're actually probably murderous thieves or rapist thieves. They were the worst thieves in the entire land. And there was three crosses, one thief, one thief, and Jesus. And in that moment, one of the thieves didn't believe he was guilty, and jeered at Jesus. But the other thief, this is really interesting, understood something really important, that he was guilty, but Jesus was innocent. And so he says, Jesus, I know I'm about to die, but when you go to the kingdom, will you remember me? And what did Jesus say to him? Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Okay, I love this moment. Because there's a pastor named Alistair Begg who's got a wicked accent. <laughs> he's great. And he describes this mental picture. Can you imagine getting to heaven and meeting that thief? You're like, hey, thief. And he's like, hey. And you're like, wait, how are you here? And he's like, I don't know. And you're like, wait, did you ever go to a campus group? He's like, no. And I was like, have you ever read the Bible? He's like, what is that? <laughs> are, you like, are you aware of the doctrine of justification by faith? He's like, no, I don't. What do you talk about? Baptism? No. Wait, were you even a good person? Like, did you even do anything right with your life? He's like, no, really, I actually like murdered people and I stole things. That's what he would tell you. And then so you get your angel supervisor because you're like, this is too much for me. So you bring him in and you're like, listen, supervisor, there's this thief here who's done nothing good with his life, doesn't know anything about Christianity, didn't do all the different classes that I took when I was in college, and yet he's here. And the angel supervisor looks at this guy and he's like, why do you think you deserve to be here and the thief looks back at the angel supervisor and says sir i don't but the man on the middle cross said i could come you want to know christianity is all about it is about that right there you have nothing to give to god you have no holiness or righteousness in yourself he does not care about the rags of your church performance the bible study you know he does not care about any of that the only thing that gives you an insight into the kingdom of God is to say the man on the middle cross said I could come listen here's humility in your life it's realizing that your life is not about you here's humility in your future it's realizing that your plans your preferences and your privileges have to go to the wayside as you follow Jesus here's humility in Christianity if I ask you the question are you going to heaven when you die and you answer in the first person you don't have grace you have religion I was a pretty good person I read my Bible, I went to Salt Company, I was faithful this year. If you answer with an I, you do not know the grace of God. But if you answer that question with he, he saved me. He died for my sins. I had nothing to give him and he came through for me. The man on the middle cross said I could come. If you answer like that, you have tasted the grace of God. That I have nothing to give my king, the one that was mocked on my behalf the one that was beaten for my sin, the one that was nailed to a cross for my iniquities. I have nothing to give him. I am the thief on the cross. I have nothing to give Jesus, and yet he said I could come. That is the grace of God. And so in a moment, I'm gonna get on my knees and I'm gonna beg, I will beg that this room would not look like cultural Christianity, that this room would take upon the cross in their life, that you would beg the Lord of the universe, the king of heaven and hell, to say, can I come in tonight and to live a life worthy of the cross that you received? Let me pray that that be true for us. King Jesus, what the guards said in irony, we sing, we worship you tonight, we sing all hail King Jesus because you were the King who is humiliated for us You were the one who died on a cross for us. It was always you. It was only you. It was never anything that we did. There is no I in Christianity, it's only you. So Father, I pray in this room of this size, there are hundreds of people that are either the thief on the left or the thief on the right. They're either the thief that says, I'm not guilty. Jesus, make my life better or they're the thief that says I am guilty you are innocent will you let me come into the kingdom tonight so father here's what I pray that the cross of Christ would break us we would not casually consume the crucifixion of Christ but in this moment right now you would break heaven and hell you would come into our souls and you would show us that it is only by your grace it is by your mercy it is by your kindness, it is by your favor, it is by your righteousness that we get an access to heaven. So Father, tonight, would many thieves get to heaven one day and say, listen, Lord, I got nothing to give you, I do not deserve to be here, but the man on the middle cross said I could come. Father, may that be true of us, that we would be a ministry of the cross, not of anything else, but only King Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen, amen.